Have you seen me dice bag? <laughs> Files. Hello, my name is Dirt the Dice, and this is the Grognard Files podcast, where we talk bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day and today. I'm coming live from my den here in the heart of the northwest of England. I'm completely surrounded by my stuff. It started to trouble my risk register. The temporary book pile behind the door reached a record high earlier in the month. There was a red warning, a risk to life, when it started to reach the ceiling and I was adding a new book on my tippy toes. There were some people who were claiming that they had higher book piles in the 70s, but to be honest, the piles were getting higher and higher and more frequent. Where's this all going to end? Unless we take serious action now. On my right are my shelves of the great library of RPGs and my ever-expanding Grognard files. I've been waiting to open this one for a while. On my left is the ridiculous homemade shrine to the actor Caroline Monroe. I'll, uh, I'll just give it a tap. Ah yes, the eternal champion is appearing as Stella Star, an image that represented the evil Anthraxia in the Slipstream campaign that we've played over the past couple of years, a retro space opera in the spirit of the 1930s serials. This time, on the Grogpod, we're having fast, furious fun in Savage Worlds. Like the game itself, it's a bit of an epic one. Thank goodness for the all-new chapter breaks, which will allow you to navigate to the bits that you want to listen to. Like I usually say, Take your time with it. You've got all month. Have a brew and a hobnob and take it in small doses. Because it's so big, I'm not going to include a potted history of the game as it's been done better by other people. One of the reasons why we got into Savage Worlds in the first place is that it was championed by What Would The Smart Party Do podcast. They cover it in episodes 103 and 4 and interviewed the game's creator, Shane Hensley in episode 153. Shane is also interviewed for The Third Floor Wars, a highly recommended podcast in episode 138. Craig, the host, does a really deep dives in his interviews, getting under the skin of the game designers to discover the inspiration behind the games they create. The Shane Hensley interview is a really good one. In this episode... Done over two parts, we'll be talking to other game creators who've produced games based on the Savage World system to create new settings. In this part, I talk to Eric Lamaru, who is the host of the Wild Die Savage Worlds podcast, who created the marvellous Wise Guys game. If you listen to my survey of the gangster RPGs in a recent extra, you'll know that I really like how the game emulates the genre. It's a great discussion that I really enjoyed. I hope you do too. First, it's the return of the Daily Dwarf. Everything comes back to White Dwarf and he looks at generic systems and how he got into Savage Worlds. He's written an essay that I'll read that tells the story of how we discovered the game because it's through Daily Dwarf 
that the armchair adventurers learn to play and love the game. Judge Blythe, our resident rules lawyer, joins me in a noisy snug of the Lassagowry in Manchester to give an overview of the game. There's some jingles in the middle to join the gaps when people came into mither us about the toilet location or missing hats. We escaped for a closing time chatter in Port Street Beer House. Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. White Dwarf! Fast, furious, fun. Or how I learned to stop worrying and love generic role-playing games. Generic systems. Hmm. Back in the day, I regarded them with indifference at best, something bordering on prejudice and deep suspicion at worst. I just couldn't see the point. After all, there were only two genres for RPGs, right? For fantasy, I had AD&D and RuneQuest on occasion, and for science fiction, there was Traveller. Sorted, all bases covered. Why on earth would I need a generic system? Surely, games that targeted a specific genre were inherently better. Naturally enough, I first heard about generic RPGs through the pages of White Dwarf. Did Chaosium's Worlds of Wonder count as a generic system? Well, it used a single rule set, basic role-playing, across multiple genres, so it sort of counted, I suppose. I remember reading the open box review in issue 34, but I couldn't really see the appeal, and the reviewer did criticise the package as being a bit bare-bones, needing a bit more material to fulfil its promise. The big daddy of generic systems didn't show up in White Dwarf until issue 66. A full-page colour advert from Steve Jackson, no, the other one, Games, announced the generic role-playing system. Illustrations, including superheroes, Roman centurions, knights and cowboys, were accompanied with the strap line, for every era, for every character, for every universe, for every serious role-player. Well, back then... I was a serious role-player, goddammit, so this should have been right up my street. And yet, my suspicions of the concept of generic RPG systems remained. I don't think they were helped by the name. GURPS. GURPS? I mean, really? Although the advert first appeared in the June 1985 issue, the GURPS basic set wasn't actually reviewed until issue 83, a whole 17 months later. In open box, reviewer Marcus L. Rowland seemed to confirm my doubt. While he described it as an ambitious attempt to design a system for every known genre, he conceded that it probably won't suit beginners, and a lack of colour may be GURP's main weakness. In trying to be useful for every type of campaign, it somehow lost the believability of other systems. It finished by endorsing the idea behind the game, but with the proviso that supplements would be required. With an eerie prescience, he noted that, in the long run, GURPS and all its supplements may cover more ground than other systems. Well, groaning RPG bookshelves across the globe can now attest to that. But the inexorable rise of GURPS happened during the Deep Freeze TM, 
when I was blissfully unaware of all the happenings in RPG land. Fast forward to 2007, and the slow thaw had begun. To dip my toe back into the waters and find out what was happening in the world of gaming, I subscribed to the weekly drive through RPG email newsletter. Reading it was a mixture of the reassuringly familiar with the strange. D&D was still around, of course, but there were plenty of other new games I'd never heard of. Shadowrun, Pathfinder, Vampire. And amongst all the chit-chat, I noticed several mentions of a game, Savage Worlds. I wasn't sure exactly what type of game it was at first, but the name conjured up images of Doc Savage, unsurprisingly, and Adventures in Pith Helmets, for some unknown reason. Once I deduced that it was generic RPG, though, I dismissed it. Once more, not for me. Fast forward a few more years, and the thaw was complete. I was back role-playing again. Exciting times. So much so that, With a rush of giddy enthusiasm, I decided to get back into the Games Master's chair and offered to run a game of the old Games Workshop Judge Dread RPG at Grogmeet 2007. Well, a fun time was had by all, although the system did creak a bit, even after I'd made a few simplifications and rule tweaks. The Dread Hack, not coming to a Kickstarter near you anytime soon. The Whiff Factor of Percentile Systems was the main issue, meaning that the judges weren't always the highly trained, ruthless dispensers of justice you'd imagine they'd be. Sometimes they seemingly were unable to hit a synthy cow's arse with a day stick. There had to be a better way. Enter the heroes of our tale, Baz and Gaz of the podcast What Would the Smart Party Do? Back in 2017, they discussed Savage Worlds and the Sharkon convention where Gaz had been the guest of honour. I was fair swept along by their infectious enthusiasm of the game and they made it sound like a great fit for all kinds of genres with an emphasis on all-out action and just the right amount of gaming crunch. I decided to put aside my long-standing misgivings about all things generic and investigate further. The Savage Worlds quick start that was available at the time contained a short scenario set in Lankmar. Perfect. I assembled the armchair adventurers for a one-shot to try out the system. Since I was still getting to grips with both the rules and with running the game on Roll20, it might not have been especially fast or furious, but it was definitely fun. Drunk beggars, cursed artefacts, treacherous sorcerers, and a horde of rats. What's not to love about that? Encouraged by my first foray, I bought the rule book, handily priced at under a tenner. Bargainicious. I found the rules straightforward on that first read-through. The system seemed pretty comprehensive, and very much geared towards pulp adventure. There was a lot packed into that 200 digest size pages, The size of the rulebook alone made a refreshing change. A brave new world of 300-plus page hefty RPG hardbacks. Now, I do have to admit that I don't think that it's the best organised or laid out rulebook. And as Dirk has said, all of the subsystems can just come across as a bag of bits. 
A vanilla read-through of the rules might not be very inspiring and just elicit a shrug and a response of, yeah, and, but read the book through with a definite setting or an adventure in mind, and I think it's transformed and brought to life. Certainly how I found it, thinking about using Savage for a Judge Dread adventure. The various subsystems sparked ideas and suggested various encounters, and vice versa. Chases? Yes, let's have a chase in the heart of Britsit. A confrontation with a perp in an underground prison cell? A dramatic task will handle that nicely. It was a veritable virtuous circle of scenario design inspiration. Thus was born an American werebear in Britsit, which I ran at Grogmeat the following year. More nonsense has followed. I found that the system's pulp sensibility is ideally suited for comic book action, and Savage World's ethos of fast furious fun meshes perfectly with the thrill power of 2000 AD. It's definitely become my system of choice, especially for bringing shenanigans inspired by the galaxy's greatest comic to the table. Perhaps what impresses me the most is how easy it is to adopt the game to all different kinds of genres. In the past few years, I've gunned down zombies in the wild west of Deadlands. I've wielded the power of weird science in the retro science fiction of Slipstream, thrown cars into police stations as an alien super fiend in Necessary Evil, and I've put the pedal to the metal in a Mad Max style on the post-apocalypse highways of Devil's Run, and Savage has handled it all with aplomb. I'll admit that it doesn't work for every genre or style of play. I don't think it suits investigation-focused adventures or games of survival horror that well, but there's no doubting its versatility. So, after all these years, all those doubts, my suspicions were groundless. It turns out that I am a fan of generic RPG systems after all. There's the thing. What next, I wonder? GURPS? Hmm, steady on now. Open Box! Welcome to Open Box, the part of the podcast where we look backwards to look forwards. Our gaming of the past has shaped the gamers that we are today. And I am joined in the Zoom of role-playing rambling by none other than Wise Guys creator, Eric Lamoureux. Hello there, Eric. Thanks for having me. Where are you in the world right now? Pennsylvania, the United States, yeah. Originally from Montreal, Canada, and moved here about 20 years ago, and been living here ever since. So so most of your formative years in role-playing would have been in Canada, Canada then, were they? Yeah, it was it was over there. We had access to different different uh, role playing games. Um, of course, D and D was was everywhere, but it was also a lot of French games by by uh, Croc. So like Bloodless, Innominate, Satanus, and Magna Veritas. These these weird games, but also the British games. I mean, one of my first game was that we played the most was Warhammer first edition when we saw the cover for that book we were we were sold we couldn't wait to play it uh, we got it a bit later because it was the French version of it so you're looking at um, 
the late 80s, which is about the same, around the same time as the British, the, the English version came out. So They're quite unusual settings, aren't they, those uh, French games? So I've heard of yeah. Innomine, but none of the others. So which one of those kind of stuck and how did they play? Uh, I, I really like Bloodlust. The cover was the um, that famous cover by uh, the, the Conan, the famous Conan painter. Uh, what, oh, Frank name? Frazetta. Yeah, Frazetta. That, that's right. That's the the guy with the the helmet and the horns on the horse and all that. That was the cover, and it was a, a sword and sorcery setting. But what was special about it is that your weapon was a god reinc- reincarnated into that weapon, and it had its own drives and motivations and goals. So there was even a mode where you could split the group in half and one half would play the weapons and the other one would play the, the bears. So the, like the weapons were more important than the characters themselves. Cause you could see them through that. There was some type of legacy there where they would jump from one bear to another to accomplish their goals. There was a lot of sex in there because the, <laughs> the, the weapons could have organs, sexual organs, which was kind of silly, but, it's just over the top. It was it was a crazy game. We didn't really play it with that angle because we thought it was weird with, with the organs, but we liked the fact that your weapon really granted you a lot of powers and uh, things like that. So that was one. And Nominee, I mean, eventually got translated to English by Steve Jackson Games, but the French version was a lot more cynical and... If it were to be published today, it would probably get canceled right away because it was <laughs> it was quite uh, I, I don't know what to call it, but yeah, offensive I would say. But when you're a teenager and back then in early '90s, you really we weren't aware of the same kind of thing going on in social media these days. <laughs> so yeah, the, those were the two that stood out to us that we played. But yeah, there was that one. And then, of course, the um, uh, World of Darkness vampire craze uh, started. So we were, I would have been around 14, 15 years old. So we then we jumped on that. And then at the same time, Rollmaster, another oldie that, that was my go to at the time. All the books and Arms Law and Creature Law and all the laws. <laughs> Yeah, I had all the books and playing Middle Earth with that because, of course, you had the Middle Earth role-playing game, which was kind of a light version of Rollmaster. So we took Merp and then we used the rules from Rollmaster to play it. Made some really weird situations where, you know, Gandalf's supposed to be one of the strongest magicians, but couldn't do half the things that you could do with the Rollmaster rules, you know, with the casting fireballs and stuff like that so it was kind of silly but we had fun anyway so who were you playing with at the time who, who was your group uh my yeah my younger brother my older cousin we, who introduced us to to role-playing games and then we had a couple of friends from uh from my high school that we played with and some more cousins came in so it was kind of a family thing um it was funny because I mean I started quite early uh, back in Canada and for because I, re- I, re- I only read French over there but 
I read those uh, Choose Your Own Adventure books. So all the the fighting fantasy and all these 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 books. I loved them. I was was about eight or nine years old, and then the same publisher the same publisher published the uh, Dark Eye RPG, which was a German game back then, but it was translated in French. But it used the same trade trade dress on the books. So one day I picked up that book, The Dark Eye, started reading it, wanting to play it by myself because I thought it was a choose your own adventure, but turned out it was a role playing game. So that's kind of how it began. My older cousin, I mean, only about two years older than me, but he played he he played AD and D back then, so he knew what that was. So that's how we started. D and D only came into my my life later on. Uh, I think I was in my late twenties when I actually said to myself, "Well, let's find out what the big deal is about that game. Everybody <laughs> talks about it. Everybody wants to play it." So I started looking into it, and by then it was already uh, three point five. So and four fourth edition was about to come out. So I didn't get I didn't have the same. Um, journey through role-playing games that most can relate to when people talk about the red box and all that i i just i just zone out because that, that wasn't part of my culture back then that's that's great that's great and it's great that you had uh, all the family involved as well what was your role in that did you games master quite a bit in those years uh, I think I was 15 years old when I first started and it was with Warhammer first edition so we would play those weekend long games <laughs> we didn't get a chance to play that often it was once a month if we were lucky or once every other month so we would make it worth it uh, worthwhile by playing the whole weekend um, just taking breaks to eat basically or play video games a little bit in between we're talking about your uh, creation uh, wise guys so i assume that you're playing nowadays so What's your group like now? What's what, what's on rotation at the moment? Mainly all people around my age, the late forties, uh, some in their fifties. I have an extended group. It's it's not like I have a group that I only play with these people all the time. I mean, I know maybe a dozen or so people that you know. Someone will start a game. Some some of these guys will join, and I'll start something, and then couple from there and i'll always recruit other people people i meet at conventions and things like that just just guys wanting to, to have some fun get uh, get distraction from from life so, so what are you playing eric at the moment nothing you know because i i took i just finished a long campaign called boomstick which is going to be the next uh the next book i write the next setting so we play tested that for almost well, over a year and a half. When I get into writing mood, uh, there's just so much. There's only so much mental broadband <laughs> that I can use. So my creative juice all go into into the writing. Try to get rid of distractions. I'll still play one shots here and there. Some of the guys run run some games. I'm gonna play some uh, again some cartoon action hour Ghostbusters. <laughs> Uh, this month, I uh, played the same system with uh, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, a couple months ago. We play uh, we play 
all kinds of things. We got the gumshoe sort of serpentine that we played recently, trying to get back into fate, give fate another shot there. There's so many RPGs these days, and I like to I like to try them out, even if you end up not liking them so much. We're we're into uh, City of Mist too, and want to give this go. I I tried. Um, Blades in the Dark again recently too. So the Diogo Norgaria is games to Primal Quest from medium crunch to very light, <laughs> light games. Usually those are the games I tend to gravitate to. So let's talk gangsters. I have been on the pursuit for a number of years trying to find the perfect gangster game. And I've settled on Wise Guys because it's so steeped in the genre. Uh, I, I love it. So where did that come from? What, what, what inspired you? What, what made you uh, decide to create this? Yeah, so gangster movies are kind of a newer love for me. Um, my wife loves them. She would watch Casino basically every month for years. And one day I decided to just sit down with her and watch it. And I loved it. And that happens to be when we went to vegas that year or the following year or something like that and i'm not a gambling guy and i didn't think i would enjoy vegas but i got there and it's like a disney for adults <laughs> and one one night we were at the uh, the fountain the bellagio fountain and they were playing uh, uh sinatra's luck be lady tonight and i just I, it just pulled on some strings, heartstrings for me, because uh, growing up on my my father's side, they were all older, and they were when they were teenagers. It was the '40s and the '50s, so the crooner music, the big band, all that type of music, Sinatra. That that's all that played for Christmas and New Year's over there when we visited. That's that's. That's what I listened to when I went over there. So it kind of pulled on some some childhood strings there. And then I decided to write an adventure called Forget About It, which is like a road movie. It's it's a bit like Reservoir Dogs, but on the road with a guy in the trunk. And what happens to the guy in the trunk? Well, how did he get there? And you got five five people in the in the Cadillac the convertible that have a history together and they're kind of fighting their gangsters too. Right. So, uh, and th that adventure became a hit and people started asking for, for more or a full setting for this. So that's when I started doing research, thinking about it and how I would approach that. Cause how do you go from just a, a four hour road movie to a, a full setting, right? You need a bit more than just, five Joe Pesci's in the car arguing. <laughs> it needs a bit more meat on it. So uh and then one one lady that had played it, she she was kind of well not complaining, but she was saying that it would be nice if there were women involved in that. And my initial re reaction, knee-jerk re reaction was to say, well, that's the mob. There's no women in the mob. So but then I started doing more research, and that's when, uh, well, I knew his movies because I loved them, but that's when it kind of clicked. Kill Bill, Quentin Tarantino, 
these women are badass, right? And they could be associates and doing more research into the mob as well. I found out about associates that aren't Italian males, but they're still part of the mob in some ways. They're not sworn in, but they still do work for them. So that's that's where wise guys started taking shape a bit more where uh, you could have associates from any walk of life, really. And when at first I was I was hesitant to include that stuff, then at that point now I was I was like, well, this makes the setting a lot cooler because then you introduce the whole Tarantino over the top action and violence to it and also the the dialogues so that's it's basically a a mix of the two and these tropes together that forms wise guys right it's guys doing heists or being chased or just doing their own thing stealing and getting into trouble with with people and i always say you know you, you can start a wise guys campaign just with one adventure and you just wait for the players to get into trouble and you have all the arcs that you need to complete a whole campaign. So it's, it's yeah, it's, it's ludicrous a little bit and over the top and it allows people to just do crazy things. It's always a hit when I run it. People grin from ear to ear with, with the kind of thing they used to they can do but also at the same time i wanted to rein it in a little bit where because you, you don't want a full evil campaign I, I don't think for most groups it would work well so i added something that that fitted with with wise guys basically the, the the mob guys which is they have this redeeming quality so yes they're bad guys they do bad things but if their mother's in the hospital uh, they'll go visit her, get her some some flowers and things like that, or maybe they have uh, a grandson that they want to save money for so they can go to school later, uh, or maybe they do volunteer work at a local soup kitchen or things like that. So you, everybody has this redeeming quality that makes that kind of draws the line to where they're willing to go. I mean, basically they. Not all of them are, you know, psychos. <laughs> they, they, they're, you know, they have a life. They probably have a family too. So they, they're not gonna just kill everybody in the group because they want to. I mean, yeah, that, I, I think that's what uh, gives the game a lot of character and a lot of flavor. Because we should say that it's set in the nineties, isn't it? And in that. Uh, renaissance period of the gangster movies with tarantino uh, and others and uh, scorsese's a casino as you mentioned set in las vegas and it has that kind of playground feel of it but it does there, there are additional depths to it that you bring to it yeah that, that that's one of the reason why well of course i visited vegas but the other reason is that uh in the 80s uh rudy giuliani which was attorney attorney general in in New York uh, prosecuted the mob uh, in mass and mass. I mean, uh, over a hundred of them, and all the bosses were were put behind bars. So now, who's left to police these gangsters? Nobody. 
and they're in Vegas and now they don't have to bring their money back to Kansas City or Cleveland or New York or whatever. They're, the bosses are gone. Now Vegas is ours, but still, there's still some, some figures in Vegas that can kind of police you, <laughs> discipline you, because the, the more violence in, in Vegas, the less money you're going to make. You, you sort of have to be careful. It's not about killing everybody that crosses you. Um, it, it, you need you need a permission to kill someone. And if you kill people and don't ask permission at some point, you're going to be the one to go. As seen in the movie Casino, when Joe Pesci, his character at the end, gets uh, beaten with a baseball bat and <laughs> shoved in a hole, still alive. Um, I mean, this happened in real life, maybe not the beating with, with the baseball bat, but him and his brother were found in the field in Indiana. So because um, they were doing things in Vegas that they weren't supposed to. I've got to ask, why Savage Worlds? Why did you go for Savage Worlds? I've been playing Savage Worlds since uh, 2008 or some, somewhere around that. Started designing for it in 2012. And of course, it's just, you always you always want to go. Well, for me, I always want to go with the system that I know of. Um, first, I didn't think it was maybe the perfect system for that because at first I wanted the game to be about um, the FBI surveilling the mob and the mob trying to avoid that surveillance. So it was surveillance, counter surveillance, and, and at first I ran it like that and it wasn't what i wanted it to be so then i'm like let's lean in into the strength of savage worlds which which is over the top action the swinginess the the david versus goliath feel to the system and once i added that that crazy tarantino part to it it just it, it just worked um so yeah the, the first part is basically I don't want to design for a system that I'm not familiar with. And and at the time, that was the system. And still now, it's still the system that I know best. So um, I think I could do it justice that way instead of ping, picking a, set, a system. Probably uh, Blades in the Dark, that system would have been better for my initial idea. But I'd... I'd played it once so i'm not going to design for a game i don't know you know you've also added a few pieces to so you've used the toolkit haven't you of um savage world but i did some additional bits of your own yeah so yeah so savage rules for those aren't familiar with it it's it's a modular system some say generic or universal i i think modular is better so you you got you got your foundation but then if you want a game that's a bit more horror, then you'll add rules for that. So each setting for Savage Worlds will add what are called setting rules, which are additional rules that that you feel are necessary to get to get the tropes right, to get the feeling right. So one of the big things for wise guys is is the people that you know, uh, your contacts, your your network of informant or uh, underlings and things like that. So I felt like I needed to bulk that up a little bit 
make it more fun. Then heist rules that added to that, which is kind of a riff of uh, Blades in the Dark, which works with with flashbacks and things like that. That jump you jump into the action right away, and then when you run into a problem, you you call on a flashback to say that. Let's say you get to a door, the door's locked. Then instead of the player being mad at the GM for not letting them prepare for that, you just the player just spends one of the, the heist tokens to say that the night before he met with the guard and uh, seduced the guard in some way or distracted the guard and managed to steal the key and make a double and put it back. So you, you you deal with the problem in a flashback kind of way. And then, yeah, we, we got about four or five uh, setting rules that we add to the Savage Rules rules to, to, to help get the tropes right for wise guys, I would say. So that network idea is that friends of ours, you, you call it, don't you? So uh, that's yeah. part of it. And the high school, I like the idea of you generating them prior as a bit of a montage. Uh, prior yeah. to the event so you use some of your skills to try and get raises that you can use as heist tokens which are these special bennies for the heist yeah so so that way the players are still rewarded for doing investigation for preparing but instead of because i used to play Shadowrun a lot okay <laughs> and if you if you played Shadowrun, you know that you could spend two sessions just planning something and that maybe when I was younger, a uh, teenager in, in my 20s, I had that patience. But now as a GM, I don't have the patience to answer every little question to prepare for any event, eventuality of what might happen in the game. But then they don't happen. So you feel like you've wasted all that time <laughs> just preparing instead of just jumping in and then dealing with the problems as they arise instead of preparing for 20 problems that may arise, but none of them do. So, uh, I mean, to each their own, I, I, I prefer that way. I think it's faster. I think it's more fun uh, instead of just sitting around and preparing <laughs> for hours on end. And again, Shadowrun was the, uh, inspiration behind the friends of ours too because you there was there was a way in shadow run where you contact at a loyalty rating and then uh is efficiency rating how good they were at doing something so i kind of used that to to build your network of contacts made made some sample ones but you can make anyone you want and Basically, the better you treat your contact, at some point you gain a perk from that contact. That something they can, a service they can provide. You could have a helicopter pilot contact, and if you achieve the top loyalty friendliness with that contact, well, if you're in the middle of a heist and there's a problem, you can call on out of nowhere this helicopter drive pilot to just drop on top of the building you're at to pick you up so that you can escape. It can be a cleaner that you, you messed up and there's blood everywhere and the cops will be here in a couple hours while you call that guy. And he's like uh, the wolf in Pulp Fiction, right? So he'll yeah. just clean the scene for you. 
I knew that I was going to get on with this game because um, early on, you, I, I enjoy this philosophy of uh, the ingredients for good role playing: characters, locations, and conflict. Mix them together, and it's like TNT. That is the spirit of Savage Worlds as well, isn't it? That all you need is a few elements to get action going. And within this uh, book, you also give quite a number of um, scenario hooks and scenario generators, which I really like as well. It was based on a, a friend of mine, Richard Wolcock, that created. So usually, adventure generators, you, you people will use you know locations like you said locations people and things like that and motivations goals whatnot but what he did was to yeah instead of thinking it that way so savage rules as kind of little mini games within the game so like a dramatic task a chase social conflict things like that those are kind of mini games within the game so instead what i went for was to you roll and then it will tell you that first scene is going to be an interlude scene. The second scene is going to be a dramatic task. The third scene is a combat scene. The fourth scene is investigation. And then the final scene is just combat. So you, you get the flavor of each scene. So instead, the pacing is more important than, than the story itself. You, you start with the pacing format. I would say a standard and then you fill in the blanks with other things, you know, so it, it just follows. It's a chase. Is it cops? Is it another bad guy? And we have tables for that too, but the, the, the main print of a scenario is, is the type of scene, the type of pacing that you're going to use. So uh, you've got the main rule book that's come out and there's a quick start as well, isn't there, Eric, that's available. Yeah, it's called yeah, it's called the Wise Guys Jumpstart uh, for free. Comes with you know, some pre-gens, uh, a, a little bit of rules, and an adventure. So it's only thirteen pages, uh, easy to pick up and play. We got uh, cards, character cards, so your NPC cards with the stats, but also a deck of cards with the contacts. Some some that I've been doing uh, at, at conventions for one shot sometimes is I'll just shuffle that deck and then I'll give draw the cards and give cards to the players and that's going to be their contacts for the session and then they can just pull one out and say this guy comes to help me or uh, things like that which is fun uh, we got gm screen inserts for it uh, we got a bunch of adventures scenarios for it there's about like a dozen of them right now we just released one a couple months ago floodlines there's enough there for for a whole campaign there's enough material to to play for a while and like i said you start with one adventure and they'll get in trouble with that guy and and uh, then he comes back later to haunt you or to give you hell and things like that so yeah it's great i love it and you mentioned earlier that you were play testing a, a new uh, project so can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. It's called Boomstick. Another one of my love is the Evil Dead series. So I, I'm a big fan. And I wanted to play, play in a campaign like that. And so when I start designing, I start looking at the tropes, what, what makes it special. And of course, Evil Dead, you got, you got the gore, you got the, the cheesy special effects. but 
one of the main thing that sets this this series apart is is Bruce Campbell, this character Ash, right? You can't take that character out of it; it's not it's not the same at all. Same thing with the Joe Pesci with Wise Guys, right? You want five five or six Ash Williams in your session? No, you need a bit more, right? So I started thinking. Who is Ash? What what makes him special? And basically, what it comes down to is that he's a total loser. That that's that's the conclusion I came up with, right? He's he's a bigot. He's he's racist. He's sexist. He's everything that you should hate. But somehow you like the guy because he's just a regular person that gets thrown into this this crazy supernatural threat, right? So, yeah, I started thinking about it, and I'm like, what about the heavy metal garage band people, uh, <laughs> bandmates, right? And when I was younger, too, I, I, played, I played the drums in a band, and I was terrible, and the other, the other players, the guitar players were good, and we didn't really have a singer, and we practiced in the storage place, uh, U-Haul uh, storage place uh, we, that we shared with another band. So basically that's what Boomstick is, is, is the story of a garage band that inadvertently summons a demon uh, in their, their local area and have to deal with. And at the same time, they're chasing fame. So... The, the, they start out as nobodies, and then there's this uh, talent show that they join, and maybe they win it, maybe they don't, but the, their, their, their fame grows as the campaign grows, because Savage Rules goes, instead of levels, you have ranks, and you start at novice, then seasoned, veteran, uh, heroic, and legendary. So every tier of play is different at novice nobody knows you season locally people start hearing about you uh veteran you go on tour in your country uh heroic then you probably go abroad and uh you start you start selling a lot of albums or big concerts and legendary then that's when you take care of the the threat the final big boss at the end and um, so you get you get famous and you get better at fighting <laughs> demons, deadites the whole time. So this is this is a campaign, and uh, yeah, I've been I've been writing that after some heavy play testing, and uh, it's going to be quite a bit different from Wise Guys, not just from the theme, of course, but uh, the format, uh, which is Boomstick is basically a campaign with just a little booklet of rules to give your characters a bit more options, but it's, it's basically just, just a campaign. Whereas uh, wise guys is a toolkit for savage worlds for modern organized crime games and also the setting, but it doesn't have the same scope, the same, it's not, it's not a campaign per se. So. Well, I look forward to that. And I should say that if anybody's looking for uh, a gangster organized crime source book even if you don't intend to play uh, wise guys we've got value for that because you've got a whole dictionary there and some slang and i learned loads uh, from doing it and i see myself as a yeah. bit of a gangster expert but you, you've yeah, done I mean, the work of course, 
of course it's savage rules and it has rules in it but there's also a lot of information um i i hired some writers that did some amazing research i did a lot of research myself trying to be as authentic as possible without compromising the the the, the play uh the fun part of it I had uh, someone in the military uh, helped me hire high up in the military about surveillance. Uh, a, a cop that worked in organized crime do some writing on this too. So um, there's a lot of information. We got a primer on uh, not only the the, the Narcosa Nostra, but the the Sicilian mafia, the the Chinese the triad, um, the Colombian, well, the cartels, the drug cartels, the Yakuza, um, the, the outlaw motorcycle gangs. So they're, they all have information in there to where, you know, if you want to, if you want to run uh, Narcos, uh, the, the, you can do that. If you want to run Breaking Bad, you can do that. Um, so there's a lot more to it than just typical Italian mobsters. Of course, that's my favorite. And it has a lot more spotlight in the book, but there's also a lot more information about other organized crimes too. Of course, we couldn't put all of them in in, in the world because there's a lot of them. But and also I got mentioned uh, if you're in the UK, we got a, a, a smaller su supplement called Tough Guys, and it's you know the governor and all these people uh, working for the firm in there. Uh, of course, uh, influenced by uh inspired by uh, Lockstock and smoking barrels and snatch and the guy Ritchie movies of course and uh i didn't write that one uh, it was harrison and yeah he lives in lives in london so he knows uh, he knows quite a bit about that stuff all banging mafia and their track suits and <laughs> plays campaign with with these characters instead that's brilliant i'll check that out well, thanks a lot, Eric. It's been great uh, talking to you. And I look forward to your future projects. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Just by the rules. Welcome to the room of Role Playing Rumbling. We're actually on a JBR in Manchester, and it's a TAT JBR. And so we're back in the Lassagauri. Uh, I've got Blythe with me. Hello there, Blythe. Hello, Dirk. We should uh, describe what a JBO is. Have we explained that before? Have we ever explained what a JBO is? I don't know, Jolly Boys 18. Jolly Boys 18, yeah. Jolly Boys 18. Yeah. And there are two varieties. There's a TAT and a non-TAT. Yes, there are. TAT is tried and tested. Tried and tested. Which is, is essentially gorilla for a breakfast. Yeah. Uh, the last Gowrie and then Port Street. And yeah. Possibly a curry. Non-TAT is where we go to other places and it usually ends in disaster. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sometimes magic happens. Yeah, sometimes, some, yeah, sometimes magic happens. You, you, you go on non-tat, yeah. you might have a big game pie night, for example, the legendary... The legendary we, game we, pie night. Yeah. We, we haven't got enough time to discuss it. Out, for, for legal reasons, I'm sure we can actually discuss it. Oh, oh the uh, Mexican restaurant incident. <laughs> oh, yeah. A yeah. Mexican restaurant incident where... We didn't, we didn't expect to be eating a hard-boiled egg that night, did we? And the reason for that is that it wasn't a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> It was, we walked, we walked past and you said, hey, look, there's a new Mexican restaurant that's opened there. Because it had like, looked like sombreros, didn't it? Yeah. We walked in, sat down, and it was, uh, An Ethiopian. was it? Ethiopian restaurant, yeah. wasn't it? 
We were expecting burritos. Instead, we got fermented bread. Fermented with, bread and, and yeah, uh, very odd. It just like your brain wasn't <laughs> was expecting it? it. I think it was a bit like opening, you know, a blue blue packet of crisps and finding out there are cheese and onion and salt and vinegar. <laughs> yeah. You break somehow you're disappointed. Oh, I've only different nothing continent wrong. here. Yeah, there's What's nothing that? intrinsically wrong with it, but it it's just not what you're expecting. And what I thought were hats were things to cover the plate. Yeah, they put them over the food, didn't they? Like yeah. a serving thing. Yeah. But we just like didn't read the sign above the restaurant that said clearly said this is an Ethiopian restaurant. We just looked at what we thought were hats. Had had quite a bit of strength. We had had a at that point. We had a quite a bit of strength. To be fair, so that's so, that's a JBO, a tat, non tat. We're on safe ground. We're tat today. Tat. Well, we're so far. Yeah. Anything so far, could happen. Early days. Anything could happen. So we're, we're going to talk about uh, Savage Worlds, and I've been putting this off blithe. Mm-hmm. We're putting it off. Why is that? Well, at the beginning of the year, we promised, didn't we, that we would do 90s uh, games yeah. and Savage Worlds. We made that commitment. But been putting it off because it, I think this is like a metaphor for uh, Savage Worlds when you see it for the first time, is where do you start? Where do you start with it? Yeah, it's a funny game, isn't it? Because we've grown to love it. And we play it a lot. We yeah, play we it every... Really, for the last two or three years, we've played it every other Wednesday, haven't we? Our Wednesday group really has become a Savage Worlds group, hasn't it? Playing yeah. Slipstream, Necessary Evil, and one or two other things, and a bit of Deadlands. So we, we've played a lot of Savage Worlds, but I think initially it's fair to say we weren't particularly struck on it, were we? No, no. We found it a little bit of an awkward system. An, an awkward rule book as well, knowing where to start with it and how to pick out the game because yeah. it is a toolkit game it's modular isn't yeah. it There's I lot. think that's part of it a generic toolkit thing as we've said before can be a problem because yeah. it's it gives you a, a toolkit for doing everything from science fiction to fantasy to whatever and that's great in one sense but also it it can throw you a little bit because you think it's everything and also nothing because yeah. there's no setting as such you know yeah it's a bag of bits to put together. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there are kind of quite discreet things. So it, unlike, say, a D20 system where you're rolling a D20 for everything, that's the resolution mechanic. It's not quite as straightforward as that, is that there's no. different rules for initiative users, playing cards, for example. Yes. Which is quite different from a game where you roll a d20 for doing stuff and you roll a d20 for initiative and you roll a d20 for everything else. It doesn't quite work like that, does it? No, no, no. There is a, a sense of consistency through it because there are some um, thematic approaches to the mechanics. Yeah. Um, but there's a few things going on at the same time. So there's playing cards, yeah. uh, chips, Well, there's exceptions. Dice. There's exceptions as well, isn't there? So the basic mechanic, which is very simple, and I quite enjoy it, is you roll four or more. Yeah. Don't four or more. Four or more. So the way the way it works, essentially, at its very heart of the game, is that you've got skills and statistics, and every skill and statistic is a dice, isn't it? Yeah. So strength, for example, the lowest is a D4, then a D6, then a D8, then a D10, then a D12. So if you're really strong, you might have a D10. If you're very puny, you might have a D4. Yeah. And you basically roll the dice... And as a hero, you get a D6 as well. Yeah. And if one of, one of those dice is four or more, you've achieved it. Yeah. 
That's the basic mechanic, isn't it? Very simple. Four or more, dead easy to roll. <laughs> dead easy, yeah. It's should not. be doing that all the time, shouldn't Yeah, I've got a D10 here and D6. So. Yeah. so, yeah, so you don't add the dice together. You, you roll. So if you, were, if you had a strength of D8, you'd roll a D8, and you were at a D6 because you were a hero. Yeah. And one of the dice has to be four. You don't add them together, like, no. that would be easy. Yeah. But there are these odd exceptions in that sometimes you need a raise. And yes. a raise is four above four, so eight. Yeah, that's a raise. It raises go up in levels of four. So you say it's four, but then of course you have to then tell people, ah, but there's, there's a slight exception. Sometimes yeah. you do need a raise. Similarly, if you're shooting somebody or doing anything, you need a four. But if you're in close combat, you need to beat their parry. Yeah. Their parry may not be four, it may be five or six or seven. Yeah. So it's a bit like that. Once you understand it, all those little exceptions actually enhance the game. Yeah. But you've got to get your head around the little exceptions. You think you've got the basic mechanic and then you go, hang on. No, yeah. no, it's not. It's four or more to hit someone with this bow, but if I've got a sword, it's his parry, which is what's his parry? His parry is six. Oh, I see, you're right. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. and, and uh, you have to get good at your uh, four times table because a bit of mental arithmetic is trying to calculate yeah. uh, how many raises. And uh, we'll get on to like, things like wounds, but yeah, you have to be good at the four times table, don't you? We do, and we're not. <laughs> we're not, no. <laughs> well, to get us warmed up, I've got a prefab sprout game. Okay. Now, I know that next time we get together, we're going to talk about settings. Yes. But what I've got here is from Drive Through RPG. Okay. I've got four names of games that are based in Savage Worlds, okay? Oh, you mean settings? Like set- well, they're actually games that have been built on Savage Worlds. Oh, okay. Yeah? All right. They're on Drive Through RPG. Yeah. Three of them are right, and there's one ringer. Okay. okay. All right. So you can play this at home. You've yeah. got to try and detect if you can the, see them. Yeah, ringer. which is the fake one. All right, okay. So the first one is Dawn of the Daikaiju. Dawn of the Daikaiju. Dawn of the Daikaiju. Yeah, that's... Uh, okay. Okay. 1953, radioactive monster, raises from the Hudson River. Dawn of the Daikaiju. What do you think on that one, Henry? It's plausible, that. Plausible? Because I'm, I'm thinking of um, the uh, the Ken Height one for Savage Worlds. The, um, called? Day After Ragnarok. Day After Ragnarok, yeah, by the Giants. It sounds like a similar kind of thing, maybe. Yeah. Okay, so maybe okay. yeah. Yeah, that's a possibility. Okay. Shanghai Vampocalypse. Shanghai <laughs> Vampocalypse. Yeah. Uh, twenty eighty four. So twenty forty eight. Needs to make that distinction. Yeah. Uh, the government have infected the population of villages near Shanghai uh, with this zombie making uh, vampire. Okay. Juice. All right. Yeah. Right. The sound of that. Yeah. I like the, the first one back, but yeah, go on, all right, yeah. Okay. I'm less convinced by that. Mystery of the Mind Shatter. The, the mystery <laughs> of the Mind that Shatter. crap you've come up with. <laughs> that one. So this is uh, the Faking King Chuckles. Also the what? The Faking Chuckles, also known as the Mind Shatter. The Faking Chuckles? Yeah, the Faking Chuckles... Is also known as a mind shatter. Oh, fake F A E. Yeah, fake as, as a fairy king. Oh, uh-huh. chuckles. Yeah, to me to you, to me to you. 
Cheers, mate. <laughs> also known as a mind shatter. Okay, all right. That's that seems at the moment. I would say that's a front runner for being a lot of guff. The next one is uh, Red Bandits, a teenage bike, biker gangs in the 1980s search through the sewers of Portland, Oregon for adventure. So you got four there. Which is the uh, the ringer? I'm gonna say. It's the fair king one sounds so ridiculous that I think that could be plausible because it's, it just sounds it's like something you'd make up. Right, that's a bit of a double bluff. I, I think I'm going to go for the Vampocalypse. The Vampocalypse. I'm going to go for Vampocalypse. Shanghai Vampocalypse, you can get it on drive-thru. That isn't the, the ringer. What's the, what's the... The ringer is Red Bandits, the teenage banker gangs in Portland, Oregon. Sounds totally plausible, that. The, 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 the least ridiculous of them. Isn't, isn't, isn't that the thing with Savage Worlds, though? They all sound plausible because it is a kind of system where... You can do you anything. Can, you can make those things work. Yeah. 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 You can make those things work, and also, yeah, it lends itself to that kind of pulpy, outlandish stuff, doesn't it? You know, that's what it, it lends itself to that, doesn't it? The system, I think. Yeah. You know, it is, it is a... Because it's not, it's not quite... It, I don't like that expression, gonzo, because it's not like that. No. I think um, there's enough there to make it quite serious about those kind of situations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it deals with them in a quiet... Yeah. Rounded way, doesn't it? Makes it makes it work. Yeah. But it's a, it is a system that can deal with those gonzo things, I suppose. Yeah. Even yeah. though in itself it's not gonzo, you can you could do quite serious stuff with it. Yeah. 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 But we're going to look at some uh, settings uh, next time. But um, I do think that's one of its strengths, and we're quite different in our. Uh, experience of Savage Worlds mm. because you you run settings don't you Deadlands is your main thing and yeah work. I'm a big fan of Deadlands and I've run quite a lot of Deadlands yeah I really like it as a campaign and I think it's fair to say although we won't talk about that, the settings next time for me I, I kind of got Savage Worlds once I put it into a setting yeah because once you put it in push it into a setting some of the other, some of the as you said the bag of bits that is Savage Worlds some of those bits become irrelevant so you have to worry about certain elements of it don't you yeah. you know and also it gives you a I think as a player it gives you a bit of a steer on what kind of characters you should be playing because one of the other things about Savage Worlds is it has these things called edges doesn't it yeah so when you create a character you're allowed to pick edges and edges are special abilities which in essence is no different from a lot of role playing games but there's no um, character classes, so and that's that's great. You can pick whatever edge you want. So there's social edges to give you bonus dice on certain interactions, combat edges. There's all sorts of things, um, and there's also hindrances that you can pick, can't you? Um, that give you problems. You end up getting lumbered with a few hindrances and a few edges. You can trade off hindrances yeah. against your yeah. edges. Yeah. Um, but, um, but but the interesting thing about that is that I suppose it leaves you a bit at sea as a player sometimes because you think well I could pick any any of these edges I could pick in a, yeah. a mishmash of them but what kind of character do I really want for this world that I'm in yeah. once you put it in a setting 
like Deadland, right, it's the Weird West, so you think, okay, yeah, I want to play Gunslinger. Right, well, you know what kind of edges a Gunslinger might have, you know. I want to play a Native American Brave. Right, well, I know what kind of things they would have. And, of course, the setting also gives you a bit of a guide by giving you a few character templates and gives you a few suggested edges and hindrances. And I think once you put it in a setting, it comes alive. And it's, it's a bit easy to run in some respects. Yeah. And a bit easy to explain to people as well. Yeah. So my experience has not been campaigns or public settings although there's a couple of exceptions it's been one shots I've, I've only ever run it as one shot I need to be careful making claims like that because I caused a diplomatic incident last time saying that the first time I played Request was at Games Expo and I had done in fact back in 1983 and with uh, Dimbid uh, in 2017 yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can't remember things but Every time I've played a run a game of uh, Savage Worlds, it's been A, a one-shot for conventions yeah. or um, uh, online, and also in a setting that I've made up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the main, there's a couple of exceptions, but that's been the thing. But it's because in those cases, I've constructed the characters. So if I'm doing um, Planet of the Apes versus yeah. uh, King Kong, I've created those uh, characters using the edges. Yeah. And to me, that's part of the lonely fun of... Oh, yeah, and that's it. That's, conversely, that's, that's the odd strength to it. But if you were doing a one-shot convention and you wanted to do pre-gens that fitted a particular setting, as a games master, you could do pre-gens like that because the edges, there's no restriction. But yeah. there, there's some restrictions on edges and hindrances, but they're fairly broad-brush restriction. You can get away with things, can't yeah. you? So from that perspective, that broadness is good. And certainly, if, if I was going to do an adventure in a particular setting, like a movie setting or a setting of my own invention, I think Savage Worlds is the system I would use. Yeah, because it does lend itself perfectly to that. Because it takes something like uh, The Mandalorian, the edges are broad enough and clever yeah. enough that you could build... Yeah. And you could do stuff. You yeah. can do stuff... You could do Star Wars with Savage Worlds. Yeah. You don't need to buy a Star Wars role-playing game. No, no. You could use Savage Worlds because when we were playing Slipstream, well, Slipstream is kind of Flash Gordon type thing. We all we drew a bit on Star Wars and, yeah. you know, you, could, you can do it quite easily, really. Yeah. Surprisingly easily. Yeah, you know? very much so. Do you do mild? Just by the rules. We're going to do a bit differently. Okay. Because I think it is a bag of bits. Yeah. And I'm going to indulge myself. I'm going to offer some oh, my, okay. my highlights. All right. All right. I will allow that. All right. In your judgment. In my judgment, I will allow it. It's, it's like, uh, it's, not a, it's not a judge, this is more like a magistrate's panel, a tribunal. A European Court of Human Rights. Yes. <laughs> broader, broader. It's a bit too lofty for what we're doing. <laughs> a bit, a bit too lofty, yeah. So I'll let you start because obviously it's not me. Yeah. Um, right, first thing I'm going to pick, I suppose, the first thing I'd pick up is, is that consistent roll of four or more. Right. I, I like that because it's simple. It's a very simple, you know one of my complaints in the past has been games that end up having different success levels different challenge levels 
all sorts of things. Savage Worlds is simple in that it's a four or more. Or if it's particularly difficult, you might ask them for a raise. Yeah. So if someone's picking a lock, you know it's a four or more. Roll your thievery skill, four or more. If it's a particularly difficult lock, you can say as a games master, I want a raise. Yeah. But rather than a four, I want an eight. And for me, that's, that's quite elegant because it's, it's dead simple. Everyone understands it. Yeah. Four or more. Even before they roll, they know they want four. And, and if, if they need a raise, they're going to say, you need a, it's difficult, you need a raise. Yeah. It's a nice, sim- simple, core, might, core mechanic. is very, very simple. And you might be thinking, how do I get uh, eight? Yeah, oh, over eight. Uh, that right. will come on to that. Yeah. It does have the rule of exploding dice. So when yeah. you roll a dice, if you roll... Aces. Yeah. If you've got a skill at D4, if you roll a four... You can roll it again and add. And keep rolling. If you roll keep, another four, keep rolling. Keep rolling. So keep you can rolling. potentially get a high number. Yeah. But we'll come on to that. Oh, he, he got, he got oh, like, I guess that, that he, might be another rule I like. So yeah. We'll get ahead of ourselves. But I would say that's one of its real strong points, is that simple simple mechanic of four or more, or a raise if it's difficult. Not None of this... Oh, DC, give me a DC 10, or DC 12, or give me a, oh, give me 15 or more, or give me a 7 or more, or give me a crying out loud, come on. I think as well that and the combination of um, skills being quite broad, so it is a skill based system. Yeah. Well, there's not a lot, is there? It's no, not, you're not, there's not, not going to be overwhelmed. No, you're not. No. You're not. And also, what's good about it is you pick the skills, when you create a character, you pick the skills that you are proficient in. On any other skill, you're at uh, D4 minus 2. Yeah. And, of course, you get the wild dice, so you're D6 minus 2. And you can still do it, because you get exploding dice, so you can still achieve things. But it's kind of quite straightforward. You just pick the skills you want, and everything else, if you've not got it, is D4 minus 2. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. Mm. And the advantages of having something that is quite um, broad as well. So fighting can cover a whole range of stuff yeah, yeah and I think that's where the pulp spirit comes in doesn't it because if this um, jukebox was getting on my nerves is it? it? it it might be a little bit yeah. if it was getting on my nerves <laughs> and we wanted to have a ballroom uh, a ballroom a, a barroom brawl in it yeah you could quite easily have a pulp Fine, picking up tables, yeah. hitting with uh, chairs. You're not worrying about weapon proficiencies and all those kind of yes. micro things. Yes. You just got one skill and it'll cover yeah. everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think that's one of its real strengths. Although it's got lots of bitty, bitty things, at the core mechanic is quite easy to explain to people. Yeah, yeah. So, target number four. Target number four. Simple target number okay. with, with raises for difficult things. Ignore this. It's a rug covering a hole. I like these some of these subsystems, so there's going to be a theme in mine. I'm okay. going to go for the right. subsystems. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. First one is the uh, battle rules. The math battle rules. Mm. I think. Yeah. I mean, you can uh, run uh, Savage Worlds really on uh, two levels. Mm. You can have uh, a fight, and there's quite good rules for fighting it deals with fighting really well yeah wasn't well, it based on a table it's based on skirmish game isn't yes. it so yeah that comes yeah. across I think 
quite strongly. Yeah. So it's just, it, you can do uh, that hand to hand little uh, skirmish game, but you can elevate it a bit mm. and do a mass battle. Yeah. And it deals with mass battles in a really interesting way because what you can do in effect a little like a 2d20 system you can build up your raises and your yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, your results to get a combined result that you narrate yeah. um, and it's like orchestrated through the person who's got the uh, battle ability and yeah. um, so you can create epic scenes of, yeah uh, it's, in, it's interesting isn't it because you, you start off with each army has a number of points doesn't it and what yeah. players do in the battle and it's quite odd because that I'd say savage words I don't want to do it get into the old school new school debate but I would say savage worlds as a system is more a bit more old school yeah but it's quite um, a detailed blow by blow combat system yeah but the battle system is quite narrative isn't it yeah, yeah. it's very interesting though, it man and the rules are similar so again you roll four or more you roll raises and things like that and accumulate and accumulate and that makes the, at the end of the round that affects the points that each army's got so player characters can influence it but you're right it, it does it goes down the road of saying look you just narrate what you're doing in this battle for this next hour in this battle so you get your sword out and you say right I'm going to get my sword out and stand on the battlements and I'm going to start hacking away at the enemy or it's coming over the parapets yeah. and all that kind of thing and you roll your fighting roll and you get a raise or a, or a success that affects the battle but, but you just be quite narrative yeah yeah but it still uses the same principles of the rules it's quite interesting it shifts from being quite a crunchy to be quite narrative yeah yeah and you do the the way that other people can contribute as well is that if you're proficient in I don't know uh, research you could be working out the schematics of the uh, sewage system yeah in uh, Portland Oregon for example yes and so that gives you some tactical advantage and you do a role to contribute to it yeah hacking the enemy computers or something a science fiction game yeah so you could do that yeah, it's really good actually. We've used it a few times, haven't yeah. we? I used it in Deadlands. Very first game of Deadlands we played with that Wednesday group. Do you remember? Yeah. I did the battle on the train. Yes. Where the train was attacked and you were guarding the train and it was a battle. And it was it's really good. It really does work. Well, yeah. you know. It does. Mm. It does. Cause it, it, it replicates, uh, I don't like using this term either, uh, as well as Gonzo, that cinematic, mm. yeah, uh, yeah. that thriller. Uh, vibe doesn't it well I remember that first battle I can remember Joe who played a, a priest didn't he and he was fighting someone on the train and on the roof of the train or something like that and he, he, yeah. said, he said oh my god I'm in a western and yes. it was like it was really good like, it was did as the battle system really dramatic narrative kind of stuff and yeah very simple and uses the same core rules yes quite a remarkable shift from crunchy battle stuff and again we might talk about this later but one of the drawbacks for Savage Worlds is it doesn't lend itself to theatre of the mind that much does it no, no. as a game it does rely a bit on range and yeah. lines of fire and cover and because again it's related to a skirmish game but it's interesting how they take those rules and make them a battle system which is very freeform and narrative but yeah. it is essentially the same system yeah just flipped on its head almost yeah in a weird way yeah yeah yeah, yeah just, it is good just elevated a bit yeah yeah and simple 
yeah. simple because I, I what do you know it's one of my dreaded things actually the role playing game where you get to a role playing game and then they have rules for battles they have rules for mass battles and my brain goes oh no no I, I never I never read them I just think oh I can't be honest with yeah. you but it's Savage, Savage Worlds one I, I think it's the best one Yes, I've ever encountered. Yeah. yeah, really is good, and, and it is, and it's great for those scenes where you know zombies are coming out of every single dealing with hordes yeah. of uh, things yeah. attacking you. Well, you, well, you've got that tipping point where you think it's a big battle, and I think it's too big and too dramatic to do it yeah. on a tabletop. I need to do it, you know, you know the whole the whole town. I think they did it in the Deadlands game. Yeah. The whole town turns against each other, so the town's fighting, and you are on one side or the yes. other. And, yeah, you know you can't do it on the tabletop. It's too many NPCs, boring. too many tokens, too, too many it. tokens. So you do it that way, and it, it does work yeah. really, really well. Yeah. So, so that's my first subsystem. Yeah. I'm going to pick subsystems. So you are right. Yeah, yeah. My next one, uh, I've given game away earlier with this, is exploding dice. This is loading dice. I tell you why. And you don't stop me, because I know you don't like it when I say this. This is a bold statement. Well, I think Savage Worlds is the best role-playing game for dealing with guns. Oh. I know you don't like it. You've got a gun ban. You've got I'll, a gun I'll, ban. I'm a gun nut. I'm a gun ban. No, but I've talked about this a lot. In a role-playing game, it's always difficult, because guns are quite deadly. <laughs> And yet, it can't be too deadly in a role-playing game because it stops the fun. Yeah. But they're not too deadly. People go, it's a gun. It should be deadly. Yeah. Exploding dice in Savage Worlds fixes the problem. Yeah. So a pistol, a revolver in Deadlands, 2d6 damage, right? Yeah. 2d6 damage. So average damage, 7. Most people's toughness is around 4, 5, or 6. Yeah. So it will. We'll talk about wounds later. Yeah. It will do something to them, but it won't be fatal. Yeah. However, you roll a six and a three. That's a nine. But you roll that six again. Yeah, yeah. And if you roll, you know, you, you can get a high number, and yeah. that has happened, doesn't it? Yeah. You can get catastrophically high numbers, and that's what's great about it. So guns, they are deadly. Yeah. Well, they're not that deadly. It, there's a bit of luck, a bit of fluke to it, and yeah. that's why it does very. I think does it really, really I, well. I, I, I like uh, the aces rule. Um, yeah. However, it can lend itself to certain unpredictability. I think. Can do, yeah. Um, probably some people would find that difficult to deal with the swinginess of it. But there are things you can do about that because there is a rule called soak rule. So if you take wounds from uh, if you take a, a large number of wounds, there is a rule where you can spend a benny because Savage Rules gives you bennies, doesn't it? Yeah. You all get three bennies to start with. And bennies are tokens for re-rolls, aren't they? You can re-roll dice. Yeah. So you can spend a benny and roll a soak roll where you roll your vigor stat and for every success you get, every raise you get, it takes and soaks a wound. Yeah. And that does work quite well because our characters occasionally have took three wounds and then rolled a soak roll and soaked two of them and gone, ah, right, it's not as bad. Yeah. So there are, there are some checks and balances in it. Yeah. You know, but I do, I do like the exploding dice. I like it anyway, because it's good with skills, isn't it? Like you yeah. say, if you're unskilled and you get an exploding dice, you can achieve a success, even yeah. though the chances were 
slim. It doesn't really stop you trying anything. That's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't stop you trying anything. But I do think with with the combat system, exploding dice is, is a really clever way. Of... And that, nothing beats that thrill of getting a high number. Yeah. Everybody, We're only 2d6 and getting 27. Yeah. Everybody gets... everything's exploded. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. You know? Everybody gets... Uh... Yeah. Loud and excited yeah. when it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and that, that part of it, part of Savage Worlds generally, there's, there's a lot of dice rolling, there's a lot of stuff that can happen mechanically. Um, even though it's quite simple, to, there's a lot of permutations within a combat round of things that can happen exploding dice, yeah. soak rolls, spending bennies for re rolls, there's lots can go on yeah. that make it's, it fun. It, yeah, and you've mentioned there about uh, gunplay and I do think that it's built around fighting, isn't it? Um, Savage Worlds. Yes. And there are a lot of. I didn't really pick this up when I first started playing it. There was a lot going on in the terms of the um, gun rules. So things like armor piercing yes. and uh, yeah. range really yeah. come into it, don't yeah. they? Yeah. And I suppose that's what you say about the bag of bits that although it's simple in its essence there are lots of qualifications where yeah if you get a weapon that's armor piercing might do 2d6 damage but if it's armor piercing four it, it, it's better than an ordinary weapon because it's piercing so yeah. it's all kind of things like that in it yeah because you know? i remember the first game i uh, ran at a convention i used uh, lego figures lego minis to do a game of uh, stuntian dog and it's the first ever game, I think, where we were measuring the uh, distance because it really came into yeah. the tactical yeah. decisions. And I think that is the thing with uh, Savage. I'm not, I'm not a person who likes to have granular rules. Yeah. But to me, there's just enough. Yeah. I didn't mind. We didn't. I didn't bring a, a rule to measure the distance because yeah. why would I? We were measuring it with um, the length of my phone to see what the distance was. <laughs> So if it was uh, five iPhones, then it needed a raise. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's universal but, measure. Universal measure. Yeah. But I do think that it handles fighting, and yeah, it, uh, I'll allow you to talk about guns because you're right. I think it does deal with guns. Of all the games I've ever played, yeah. it deals with I think the best because it, yeah. they're not they're not deadly enough. They're not too deadly so that you wouldn't start shooting. Because yeah. of course it's like deadlines. It's a western. You want some shooting, don't you? You want yeah. a few gunfights, crying out loud. But equally, there's a convincing element of if you get shot, it could go really badly wrong yeah. for you because yeah. getting shot can. And I suppose even with even with swords and bows and arrows, it's still yeah, like anything. Yeah. It can be it can be deadly because they are deadly. It is dead, deadly, uh, Savage Worlds, um, but it does have the ability of being deadly but heroic yeah, in so that you think that you've got a chance exactly yeah it's deadly but it's survi- you, you feel you've got a chance and it, it feels like it's survivable yes one way or another yeah. but there's a certain drama to it yeah as well a drama that generates from things like exploding dice you know that, that give a certain degree of thrill don't they <laughs> oh sure it's my round my next one go on Another sub- subsystem. Yeah. They promised that I would just go for the subsystem. And I'm going to go for uh, chases. Because it's uh, a perennial issue, isn't yeah. it, in uh, adventure games and um, these kind of uh, thrill games. How do you replicate a chase? 
just doing shut up with that because I agree with you and it's interesting that isn't it hit on, already hit on two things we, gun, you know whoa, perennial problem with guns and role playing yeah, we're yeah. quite satisfied perennial problem of chases perennial problem of battle systems so far Savage Worlds coming up trumps well. isn't it because hands them all very very well coming up trumps trumps like, yeah, yeah. yeah the cards yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but yeah. it doesn't it that's the theme with, that, that's what's interesting we've played a lot of it and it, it does have these subsystems and rules that you think it's kind of good this you know yeah. <laughs> so the um, the way the chases work it uses the it uses the uh, playing cards so you yeah. use a different deck of playing cards and um, you position them on the uh, table at a particular distance and you start to um, track um, your position uh, on the playing cards and each of them when you turn the playing cards over um, when they're, when they're up, depending on their suit can cause a complication or they can create some narrative distance uh, difference so for example if you turn a club and it'll give you a minus two like a, a tyre blows or something like that because you've landed on, uh, on on a club so there's I like it because again a bit like the battle system it's got a consistent way of dealing with it so using raises to move and uh, your skills and abilities but it uses the action cards which you use in initiative so the playing cards are familiar to them but it uses it in a really interesting way to create a narrative experience yeah 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 yeah. again I suppose that thing because we, we should probably say people who've never played Savage Rose the way you decide on initiative every round you use a conventional pack of playing cards don't you yeah and you dish out playing cards every round and the best one wins you get a joker that triggers benefits for people um, things like that so yeah the chase system takes that core rule of playing cards and just develops it in a nice way so is it it's familiar territory for people yeah. it's not completely alien not the subsystem but it's not completely alien it yeah. does it has its roots in the core game and just develops it a little bit more in a different way and so I, I ran a Mad Max type uh, game using and it, well, that's all it was wasn't it it was just a chase yeah. it was just the entire beginning to end was uh, you're chasing down an oil tanker yeah. your the whole thing. game was a chase which you can do can't you because yeah. well, of the incidents that you might encounter but yeah, yeah make it kind of full of full of incident and adventure just a chase yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, part of that was because of the exploding dice situation. Because I had an NPC uh, that was a hostage, and he was going to give you some information about this uh, oil uh, tanker that was heading this way. However, he got shot in the head with an exploding dice and <laughs> killed him outright. He did, yeah. <laughs> <I remember that. laughs> there was a weird silence at that point, wasn't there? Yeah. I think someone had decided to shoot at him. Did you yeah, shoot yeah. him and thinking, yeah. yeah, you know, soften him up a bit. Oh, oh dear. Okay, shot through there. His head exploded. He was going to be the Rolodex of information <laughs> about this oil tanker. So I just decided to have yeah. his oil tanker charge at you. And uh, the rest of the scenario <laughs> was a chase, chasing down this thing. So it was great fun, but just enhanced by uh, using yeah. the mechanics. Yeah, very, very good rules. Yeah, yeah. Well, your next one. All right, final, final of the three. I'm going to say wounds. 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 
Because Savage Worlds has a system where each character has a toughness. So toughness might be five, for example. And for every every four damage you take over that, you suffer a wound. And your fourth wound means you're dead, so you take up to three wounds. If you take if you take uh, less, if it goes over your, equals or goes over your toughness, it doesn't go beyond four. You are shaken. Which is an interesting rule. So shaking means, you know, the bullet whizzed past your head. Yeah. And you've lost your nerve a bit in the fight. And you have to roll spirit roll to uh, unshake, don't you, to act yeah. again. Well, that's kind of an interesting element. To, it's not a wound, but it's an interesting element of the wound system, isn't it? You can, yeah. You can shake your enemies, frighten them a bit, where, you know, they, they become a bit sort of unnerved by the attack. Yeah, just taking it back, really. Yeah, just yeah. like that. Yeah. But, yeah. but the good thing about wounds is again it, it manages to bridge two two extremes in role playing games so sometimes like D&D type games you get you lose hit points and you just keep on fighting don't you you keep on fighting yeah oh fair enough it's a game fair enough that has its place you just keep on fighting even though you've been absolutely battered yeah. and in other games uh, I'm thinking like fate you have to come up with you take an injury you have to come up with an injury you have to go okay well let's come up with an injury what's happened to you it's alright at first I'm a bit worn out with it (laughs) I'm fed up with saying you've took a bullet to the shoulder okay that's all I can think of yeah what Savage Worlds does is it is quite mechanical but you take a wound and when you took a wound you're at minus one on all your dice rolls when you took two wounds you're at minus two three wounds you're at minus three so there is that kind of detrimental impact of wounds and I can, we've played games where our characters have been wounded and we've been failing dice rolls because they're wounded and thinking, by me, we're, we're going to lose it and we're going to lose because we're wounded. Yeah. And it's kind of, yeah, of course you are. You're not yeah. going to be as good because you've just been hit with a sword and you're bleeding, so you're not as good. But it's a nice, again, it's that mid, nice, sweet spot, a middle ground between a system that deals with injuries in a very simple way but my, I might feel unsatisfactory because it doesn't seem to replicate what it's like to be wounded. And systems that have complicated wound systems or narrative wound systems that can be a bit, in the long run, I've personally find a bit tedious. Yeah. It's yeah. That, that nice, sweet spot of this is a simple system. It's not really hit points, but it's yeah. almost like hit points. But you are going to suffer consequences to taking wounds yeah and I, I think it's, it's just and, 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 in, and in play in play when we've played it it hangs the tension of a battle only last night in Slipstream uh, yeah. Mark's character and you were taking wounds and you were both going oh my god yeah. oh my god I'm on three wounds we're going to lose this and it really ramps up the tension and makes you start thinking in creative ways because you think we're in trouble here you know, yeah. not not just because we're badly wounded, because we're failing all our rolls. Roll four or more. You try rolling four or more when you're on minus three. Yes, you're in trouble, and it's that makes it really exciting. I think. Yeah, but it's but it's simple. It's not too convoluted. Yeah, yeah. I think in general, those conditions work well. So you know, as well as that yeah. affecting you. Yeah. Yeah, you can have distracted. Yeah, there are rules about conditions as well. Yeah, yeah. and it's not like D and D fifth edition, edition where you've got a lot of mental overhead to try and manage all that. 
I think you can deal with it, can't you? Yeah, it's not too it's not too bad. There are some conditions, but they're not they're not too bad to manage within the game. Yeah, yeah. they don't they're not too the conditions are not too conditional. Yes, yeah, and, and and it means that you can uh, have some tactical choices as well, doesn't it? Yeah. So um, my uh, character is usually um, for some reason just likes to taunt the enemy. You know, I like to. Yeah, it does yeah. have. Seemed, yeah, it does have rules about taunting, doesn't it? Yeah. Where you can taunt in battle and, and unsettle them and things yeah. like that, which are kind of interesting, aren't they? Yeah. 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 So I've, I, in uh, Necessary Evil, I have a character called Gecko, who is uh, an evil uh, capitalist megalomaniac. I slip into that role a bit too easily. You do. Uh, you're a natural for it. Aren't you? <laughs> yeah. And uh, we have big cigar <laughs> and uh, big braces. And uh, his tactic is to do this uh, evil monologue. My first thing I'm going to do is an evil mon- monologue. But that has the effect sometimes of uh, distracting the... Yes, uh, it or, distracts or, or makes them vulnerable for a bit, and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 It, it is. I mean, you, you can tell definitely that, that, that roots in a skirmish game are definitely yeah. there, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. I suppose one of the... Maybe it's a drawback, but because the combat system is so nice and has so much going on that makes it exciting, I suppose outside combat, sometimes it can feel a bit flat, sometimes some yes. words, because, yes. yeah. you know, I need to persuade someone, oh, well, roll a, what's your, what's your persuade skill, what's your D8, oh, roll a D8, roll a D6, and yeah. a four or more feels somewhat flat, because in combat, there's just so much, there's so many fireworks in there in combat. It's yeah. really nice. I'm going to spend a penny. I'm going to soak a wound. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And when it comes to that, that's true, other yeah. stuff, it does feel the, somewhat more subdued. Yeah, it's a, a game built around action, isn't it? And yeah. you mentioned all these subsystems about how well the uh, battle uh, system works. And there are things like extended tasks for social interactions, but they're not quite as satisfactory. Yeah. Yeah, you're just wondering where the next fight's going to come in. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. It's built. It is built around action, and yeah, when you're not dealing with action, action, you know, it does feel. Yeah, it can yeah. feel. But it's not. It's not really the game's fault, I suppose. Because yeah. there's nothing wrong with the system outside combat. No. But it feels very. Um, what? If, if outside combat it feels very very lightweight so it's a very light touch system isn't it yes yeah. whereas in combat there's far more going on yeah there's a lot going on the other thing that we should say about wounds as well is that um, you can scale it up and down can't you so something like slipstream it starts off with the premise that you're not going to die because yes. you're it's just pulpy flash garden thing and yeah, yeah. you're out of action at four wounds but you're not dead yeah yeah but with other other uh, systems, you might take a critical wound or yeah. uh, something that's going to. Yeah, it does yeah. have it does have rules. Yeah, I mean, there's some optional rules, doesn't it? So there are rules for uh, there is like a table for critical injuries and things like that, which you can yeah. you may or may not want to. Yeah, and depending on the setting, it might yeah. be appropriate yeah. to, to, to have that. Yeah. Um, look at my final one. Final subsystem. It's not a subsystem this time. Oh, well, I'm going to mention it. Um, because um, Savage Worlds is the first game that we played. Again, I might be making this bold statement. I think I might have done fate before this, but <laughs> um, where I understand the significance of Benny's, so how you can yeah, use yeah. a mechanical device 
to affect the result. Um, I mean, we use luck in Mithras uh, Ring Quest 6. Um, that was the first time we encountered things like Benny's, but it's quite sophisticated, isn't it? The, the way Benny's work in Savage Worlds, it can shift things. And we mentioned about wounds and how it can, they can be used yeah. to soak. But Benny's can make a real difference. They can, they can make a difference. And also, what I like about Benny's is it, again, it's the sweet spot that you've got Benny's and you've got a bit of a currency of Benny's, so you can be awarded a Benny for. Um, using your hindrance so you've got hindrances which are like character flaws so if you're like foolhardy for example and you go right I'm just going to foolhardy I'm going to rush into uh, battle in a yeah. stupid way the games master can go and give you a benefit for that because you're playing to your hindrance but it so it has that kind of currency but it doesn't have too much of it yeah there's not too much of it yes you know what I mean one of my complaints about fate was I, li- I like fate but sometimes that fate point currency got a bit annoying because you have to manage it all the time thinking all the time whether people deserve a fate point whether they have to spend a fate point that kind of thing whereas Benny's it's just about right it's a currency of luck points if you like but it, it's not constantly changing hands no it, but it can there can be a bit of the awarding Benny's that kind of thing you know but not too much of it and Although, although the odd thing about Benny's is the games master just get Benny's so some of the main major villains yeah. get Benny's and I, I always feel like a complete sod when I use a Benny when someone hits a villain I think great I always use a Benny to sort the injury yes, yeah. do you feel it mean <laughs> yeah we should we should say that as well that that's one of the heroic features because that's I suppose why I enjoy uh, Savage Worlds is you know my experience has been BRP uh, for years and years and years, BRP was our system. Yeah. And it's very difficult to feel very competent in the world of uh, BRP, isn't yeah. it? Even if you're very good, you feel so, yeah. that you're going to fail. There's, there's, it is a heroic system, isn't it? Yeah. how it's worked. Yeah. And the opponents uh, that you encounter have different grades. So... You've got extras and you've got wild cards, yes. and the wild cards are the NPCs that yeah, are they're more like significant. The, yeah, they're like the villains, and they get a, a D6 as well as the skill dice, like you do. And the, the, the extras just get a skill dice, don't they? Yeah. So it's an extra shooting with a D8, just rolls a D8, and it's a four on here. Yeah. Whereas a villain might get a D8 and a D6, like a player character. Yeah. So there's that, again, there's that sliding scale of. You can have a big battle with lots of mooks, a bit of cannon fodder that makes it exciting, it makes you feel competent. You can also throw a few nasties in that yeah. make it difficult. An epic. They can, the, yeah, the battles yeah. against uh, yeah. wild cards with bennies. And, yeah. uh, well, it's like it's like some of the... Uh, again, this is an interesting thing. Right? Some of the necessary evil stuff we played necessary evil. And that is my... Yours as well, I think. First experience, really, of superhero role-playing. Yeah. And it is fantastic. Savage Worlds is fantastic for superhero roleplay. Yeah. Because once you start getting exploding dice, once you get superpowers and exploding dice, you are like punching through walls. Yes. And taking down three villains in one go. And it lends itself really well to superhero roleplay. Yeah, I really does. enjoyed that. Because, like you say, it's epic anyway. And action packed anyway. But once you put superheroes into it, it kind of elevates it to another level, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. They sat in our chairs. 
Well, we've been gushing about Savage Worlds. We have. And the format is we always have to end on uh, things that don't quite work. Well, I, I think the only thing, the only downside I have to Savage Worlds, and we've been gushing, gushing about it, and you know, it's an interesting story. You know my charity work? Oh, yeah. I, I play with my friend and his son. Yeah. And uh, we were talking about this the other night. Talked about favourite games. And his favourite game is called Cthulhu. So he yeah. started off with 5th edition. That's been relegated now to the dustbin. Um, he loves Call of Cthulhu. But he's, we've played some Deadlands. And he said his second favourite game is Savage Worlds. Yeah. We've played quite a few games. But he, they really like Savage Worlds. They play Deadlands and they, they think it's great. Yeah, you know that is testament to it, really. I think. But, yeah, and you know. and, and you probably cat- categorise them as casual gamers rather than yes, yeah, 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 yeah. us yeah. deep in the woods. I've, I've kind of brought along to them a few different games over yeah. the years, over the last year or so. Um, so, and, and like you said, they're not they're not like hard. They're not buying stuff all the time, like a lot of deranged like us and Kickstarters, but. <laughs> But it is interesting that, as, yeah, in a more, they're in a more casual way, and yet Savage Worlds have definitely hit a, hit a nerve. You know, that is something they've asked to play more of as well. You know, yeah. they say, oh, let's play more of that, that cowboy game, weird, the Weird West game. Yeah, we like that, it's really good. Yeah. You know, that's a testament to Savage Worlds, I think, really. Yeah. The other thing I'd add before we move on to our game thing is I think it's a game that rewards System Master. Yes, feels like a game that we know well, and uh, it, I could probably turn anything into uh, Savage Worlds. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I would feel confident with it and confident playing it. And there's an enjoyment though to System Master because again, my friend and his son, his son has picked up on it and picking edges. Like there's an edge where you get two uh, two initiative cards and pick the best. He picked that because he saw some of the villains had that, and he said, "That's really good. I'm going to get that." You know, yeah. so there's a joy in System Master as well, isn't there? Yeah. You know, yeah. some we all talk about light, lightweight games. But there's something to be said oh, for understanding the rule system. Yeah. But that, I suppose the downside to it, and I know it's a downside, but like as I alluded to earlier, it it does have its roots in tabletop skirmish game. So when you do it theatre of the mind style, it doesn't feel like you're doing it right. I have done it theatre of the mind but it just feels like I'm not doing it properly yeah it feels like a game you do need tokens and uh, Lego Lego tokens minis whatever you, call, whatever you want to call them yeah, yeah. Um, it does feel that way so whenever I've used it done theatre of the mind with it because sometimes in some of those Deadlands games they were a bit sandboxy and so there were instances where a fight might break out and I wasn't expecting so you had to do it sandbox style but it always feels like I'm not quite playing it right. No, no. no. I suppose uh, related to that, and this is my uh, thing, is I've played a lot of conventions, and I feel that little internal sigh um, when I'm about to explain it to people yeah. who don't know it. Because yeah. as we tried to convey here, there's a lot going on. Yes, yes. And uh, for you beginners, it's a bit the, the couch sheet is by no means overwhelming at all no you can grasp that it's just all the little bits yeah to get your head round and okay so you're looking for a four 
accept in this situation. It's exceptions, it has exceptions. It's a rule base. It's a yeah. core system, but then has exceptions. So, yeah, that is that's true. You, you know, you need a four or more, uh, unless you're in close combat when you need a parry. Oh right, okay. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm in close combat. But I'm gonna use my gun. Ah, well, you still need to be parry if it's yeah. a gun in close combat because it's yeah. like a struggle with the gun. all that kind of stuff can throw yeah. people a bit. Yeah, yeah. There's quite a bit going on. Yeah, um, and uh, people making sure that people understand all the levers they can pull, like bennies and things, and how the bennies work. And it's the kind of it's just the ironic thing with it is the things that make it exciting and make it quite a compelling game are the exact same things that if you're playing it at a one shot a convention for the first time might bamboozle you a bit yeah not that they're difficult to grasp but they're difficult they're exceptions to the normal core rule and therefore yeah. puzzle people a bit for people who need to know what's going on it's one of those games where you can come away from thinking I'm not quite yeah, sure yeah. what happened there because yeah. uh, I've done that quite a few times yeah. you know, I've run games and people say I really enjoyed it I didn't know what the hell was going on but it was well it's prone it can be prone to misunderstanding it's like that, that isn't it rolling two dice you need a four or more and you roll two dice people's instinct is to add them together yeah I played it people go right yeah I've done it four no 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 you've not done, you've not done it yeah, yeah you've not done it because you've got a two on that dice and a two on that dice what's four no it's not because yeah, yeah. you read each dice separately and they go ah yeah okay and then yeah. the next time they do it they go they add them together again because yeah. it's it's not counterintuitive that's, that's wrong but, but a gamer brain tends to roll if you roll two dice it's a game you tend to add them together don't you? Yeah. most games do that yeah. Yeah. and I tend to get as you know when there's an action sequence get over excited <laughs> and you know sometimes it can feel like chaotic because yeah. yeah. there is a lot going on yeah, throw a Benny in, throw an action card, I've got a, he's got a joke, you know, all that kind of thing going on. Uh, it can get, it's really exciting, but if you don't quite, if you're not yeah. on the page with it, you can feel a bit. Like you say, it's the, system, it's the system mastery thing. Once you, like our Wednesday group, we've all mastered Savage Worlds now. We've been playing it for years and we've mastered it and we all have a, an eye on what we're going to do in the next combat round. We know what we're going to do. We know we're going to do it. We know what edge we want. Next time we get an advance, I think I know what edge I want. You know, yeah. all that kind of thing. And that enhances your enjoyment of the game. And I suppose it's that thing with games, isn't it? But some games, you have to learn them. You just know them. Yeah. You do have to learn them and know them and have the robot to hand even as a player. And yeah. you'll find it's a better experience for you. Yeah. And Savage Worlds is def- definitely the case. Yeah. Fantastic game, though. Brilliant game. It's a brilliant game. We play it a lot, and that again is testament to. Must be good because we play it a lot. Yeah, yeah. And if you were saying to me, "Let's play it tonight," I would do. Mm. But we can't because that would be off tat. Because that would be madness. Yeah, <laughs> that would be madness. That would be that be. Unless there's an is there an Ethiopian cafe nearby running a Savage Worlds game? <laughs> Maybe we should try. Right. Yeah. Hard boiled eggs, fermented, bre- fermented bread. Do you like to peek behind the curtain? Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars takes you behind the scenes. We interview designers and discover how they make their games. What was the first spark? That first idea? How did that idea develop into a game thousands of people love and play? 
These are the questions we ask designers. So if you want in-depth interviews with people like Shane Helmsley, John Wick, Ed Greenwood, and John Harper, check out Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars on your favorite podcatcher. Oh, get me caught. We've moved. The uh, tat has moved. We're in Port Street Beer House. Jazz is playing. It's replaced the landfill indie. <laughs> and I've got Blythe with me. Hello, Blythe. Hello, Is it? Is that in Jazz? Is it? I don't what know. is that? I don't know. 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 Punk? Disco? I don't know. I don't know. Soul? I don't know. Soul? Yeah. R&B? Who knows? I don't know. It's got a bit of uh, life in it, hasn't it? A bit more yeah. life in it than Travis. Yeah. 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 Travis. Well, in groups that you think, I should like. I should like them. But I don't. There's a long list of groups like that, isn't there? That I should like, but don't. Given yeah. my musical taste, I should like Travis. I should like Muse, I d- but I don't. Yeah. Something. What? Why? I don't know. Yeah. So when uh, when the portrait, we're going to do. I'll get me caught. So we're yeah. going to talk about the things. Some closing time chatter of stuff that's in your on your head, in your head, at the on moment. your head, in on your head, head. on your head. head. I should point out that we're about four pints in. So five, five, <laughs> five. <laughs> This could be absolutely nonsense. You've lost count. I, I say five. I may have lost count too. It could be six. I don't know. It's not four though. It's yeah. five. <laughs> I'm not responsible for any nonsense that might come out. Yeah, you can't be responsible now. So what, what's the thing that's um, occupying your brain at the moment, uh, gaming-wise? The thing that's occupying my brain at the moment is I'm preparing. Prepping is the word people use. Prepping. Yeah. But I'm going to say preparing. Um things from the flood some things from the flood from for Alba in early September I'm prepping preparing that <laughs> adventure yeah which is things from the flood is a it's a kind of uh, sister game I suppose you tell from the loop isn't it it's the game where it's, set, it's the same setting but it's in the 90s and you, you play teenage you play people in their late teens rather than right. kids um, and it's where the loop's gone a bit wrong and been flooded and it's all descended into chaos so there's this evacuation area which is where the loop used to be this experimental facility which is now closed down cordoned off but of course of course as unruly teenagers you're going to go venture in there aren't you for your own reasons um, so is it, is it different from um, it tells from the well it's no diff- it is no different in terms of rules it is no different at all apart from a couple of exceptions uh, which I think are quite amusing because in Tales from the Loop you have a thing called pride right. so Tales from the Loop you have a called pride so your your father might be a police officer and as a 12 year old you're proud of that fact and you can use your pride in certain ways in the game but what things from the flood does it turns your pride into a shame ah, right. and it can be the same thing so you can actually play the same characters grown up so you know, your father being a police officer uh, can be uh, shame. It can be. It can be you're an 18 year old. It can be a shameful thing. <laughs> it's exactly the same thing. Because it's quite amusing. Because you think, teen, yeah, late teens, the things you're proud of as a 12 year old become shamed off as a teen. <laughs> quite interesting. Um, and the other thing is, you can actually die in it. So, unlike Tales oh, yeah, from the yeah. you can't die. But things from the front, you can't die in it. Um, what you do is you get, if you become broken, um, you get a scar 
uh, and then you roll a d6 and if you roll under your scar number of scars you have to narrate your character out of the game so you can die or you could say that they'll leave town or they get arrested or something happens to them that takes them out of the game so yeah. there's a little bit more jeopardy I suppose in it um, but I think it's it, I love Tales from the Loop and I like things from the floor I do, I do love them. one of my favourite role playing games what's interesting about it is it's quite can be potentially quite a dark game, yeah. particularly things from the flood because um, you have problems. Kids, the kids have problems, and in Tales from the Loop, I suppose the problems are a little. Mind you, they can be dark in Tales from the Loop, but some of the suggested problems in things from the flood can be quite dark. You know, like drugs or eating disorders or things like that, which are you know, a little bit you know, in kind of X-card territory to some extent. So. I suppose the thing that people refer to is uh, Stranger Things, and that's just being released. Yeah. Have you watched the new one? I've watched it. I'm not, I'm not quite finished it. I've not, I've not watched it. I did. I've not watched any since the first season, and I know that it's supposed to be. The, the, stuff. New, the new season is a bit gargantuan. I mean, I, I, the last two episodes have been released, and uh, I sat down with Mrs. Blythe. Who's, Mrs. Blythe has this distinguished. She pretends not to like things. She does like things. Yeah. She does like these. She, we watch the boys on Emily. She says, oh, this is disgusting and terrible. But what's going on? Who's it? What's yeah. that? You know, it's, come on, Mrs. <laughs> Blythe. You like it, really. Um, and the, the last two episodes are quite gargantuan. They're like an epic. There's one that's an hour and a half. And I think the final episode is about two, two, nearly two hours, 15 right. minutes. It's like a film. Yeah. I started watching it. I watched half of it and thought, I to go to I, bed. See, I thought I thought the first season was quite self-contained and yeah. gave me enough. Yeah, yeah. I've never been really interested. The kids love it. I mean, the kids love it. They, it's kind good. of one of play D and D as a result of seeing it. It's kind yeah, of popularised yeah. it. Hasn't it does popularised it. Yeah, yeah. My boss likes it. And I said to her the other day, "Would you like to play D and D?" Do you know what she said? What did she say? No, you weirdo. I don't. <laughs> so it's not it's not encouraging everyone to play D and D, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not working for everybody. No, um, no. But yeah, I think, yeah, Tales from the Loop, I suppose it is a bit Stranger Things. But it's one of those games that I think is quite, in the way that I've talked about Cthulhu, it's quite a dialable game in that you can make it, and I think we've played it quite lightweight. We've played it in a quite a light way in the past, haven't we? Don't think, think uh, Tales from the Loop. But you can dial it up and make it quite dark. Some of the problems um, that the kids have can be. You know, they can range from, oh, you know, I, I'm, I quite fancy one of the cheerleaders kind of thing, which is, can be sort of amusing, I suppose, to, you know, dad, dad is an alcoholic, mum's, mum's got cancer, you know. Yeah. Think, Jesus, some of the things they suggested, Jesus Christ, you know. It's, yeah. And I have heard people who played it, I was talking to someone, at, I think it was one of the... Um, Go Play Manchester, who said they'd done a campaign in it, and they, they'd got... Quite tearful at the end because they got so emotionally involved with the characters because they felt quite real, like teenagers, yeah. you know, yeah. been a teenager and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to. Uh, not quite sure those emotional resonances pick up in a one shot. No, but no. Uh, that's what I'm doing at the moment, and I do. I tell some leap things for fun. Brilliant, brilliant games, yeah. both absolutely fantastic games. Yeah. I need to play it. I need to play it. Yeah. So that's at Elba face to face. in early September. So I can't go to face to face, and so over the last few days, because I can't go, and to avoid FOMO, 
while you're yeah. there, you know. Of course, yeah. Having a pint of Virtuous in uh, the Royal Pug. Virtuous I'm... in there, what, that pub where you, you told me last time we went, you, it wasn't. Inglorious. Virtuous is what it's really called, yeah. And you said, I'm drinking Inglorious. It's Inglorious, called Inglorious. So I went to the bar and asked for Inglorious. He said, What are you talking about? You don't do that. He said, I think, I think you do. My friend says that it's you do Inglorious. I'd like a pint of that, please. And he said, We don't do that. We do this Virtuous. It's called Virtuous. It's not that one. It's not, it's that, not, one. It's not that. He would make such a foolish mistake. Um, it's like I can't go to it. I decided, you know, a bit like um, Kevin Costner in Field of Dreams, that if I can't go, <laughs> I will build it myself mm. and uh, I'm working with Asaka so to create an online version and an online version of the event. And I've done this a few times, administrated, because uh, I've done grog meet for a few years and done the uh, virtual grog meet. And, and it always fascinates me what people submit and what people gravitate towards. So when you're making a pitch for a uh, scenario what, what is it that attracts people's attention and I've done a bit of survey work on it <laughs> not very academic but just to get an understanding what is it that drives people towards certain games what do they mm. look for and um, there's a temptation I think some people have put, submitted some games that I don't know what they are mm. and I, I think like five years ago I'd feel very uh, reluctant to put in a game that I thought was very niche. Yeah. I'm more likely to gravitate towards something like Traveller or RuneQuest or something that had a bit of a name recognition. But yeah, I think that I find that when I'm looking at convention games, I tend to go for something I know. Yeah. A game I know and like the sound of the pitch or a game that I don't know but I've heard of I've heard things about it and I'm interested in giving it a try yeah I think if you, if you see a game where you think hmm, I, I, I like to think I know a bit about role playing games never heard of that yeah. I draw a bit of a blank then I might shy away from that so, so at that level I think what you look at is right, who's running it is there any recognition of who's running it and, uh, yeah yeah. and uh, if you don't get that I think it's a very hard sell I think to put a very indie niche game yeah um, to because uh, I think people are a bit well I said people are me um, you can be, <laughs> be a bit fearful of the system they just do not know yeah so I've I, over I've put myself I'm running again and I put myself down for cult yeah cult controversial horror game now I don't know much about the system but I know enough about I've read enough about cult to make me feel this is I'm interested in this you know I'm interested in giving this a go and seeing what it's about so you know what I mean I know enough about it just I know enough about it as an idea rather than anything else yeah I've heard of it and thought I pounced at it and thought oh yeah that, yeah definitely that was an easy decision I'll go for that you know and I, I, the games master I've, I've played in games she's run before they've been good and I've thought that's another thing isn't it where you think well that will be alright that will be alright right. it'll be okay won't it I'm going to um, stick my neck out, I think, to put... 
in um, the league game of you know uh, Barney, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. local Ludus. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's uh, invented a game, and uh, I did a podcast with him. I don't think it's come out yet. Where we uh, created a scenario using magazines, and I thought, well, I'm not going to let that go to waste. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put that on. I played that. We played that. Yeah, probably, it's yeah. good. It's a good little game. It's all right. Yeah. Come on, Barney. You need to get that on Kickstarter. Well, back it. It's yeah. good. It's good game. Yeah. yeah. So it's a bit. It's like Lovecraft meets Moorcock in the multiverse. Yeah, you like you like time travellers come into playing the travellers aren't you go sorting things out yeah, that kind of things. neat idea of you know what you're doing and you know what you need to you know what you need to do that kind of thing yeah you know? so you're warped into a particular time that's right and you have to put something right don't you that's gone yeah. wrong yeah. yeah yeah. and I like the fact that um, <laughs> I love the fact that what he included in it was uh, you've all got communicators so you can communicate with each other at any given time because Barney was quite frustrated about the idea of people who say, oh, oh, well, no, you're not in the room at the moment. You can't comment on what's going on. You're not in the yeah. room. <laughs> like, come on. It's yeah. a game. Get over yourself. Get over it, yeah. <laughs> so, so everyone's got to communicate, so you can you, you can, can comment yeah, if you're not um, in the room. You can, yeah, yeah, even if you're Very good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think in the scenario that I've uh, come up with, you're actually split in two parts of time. So simultaneously, you're playing the same characters in two different locations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's, you know. It's all very more cocky and very Jed Cornelius, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but good, good fun. Yeah, good if, game. if you can fix something in one time zone, it might have a knock-on effect to something that's going to happen in the future. I, I think when we played that game, I think afterwards I commented to you, didn't I, how there's not enough time travel in role playing yeah there's not it seems like a, I'm sure people will, will message and correct me on this because of my ignorance of the subject despite like being involved in the podcast I don't know what I'm talking about um, there's not enough um, time travel is an interesting RPG yeah. concept isn't it and yet not many games cover the idea that you're a time traveller yeah. and you go to different times and do things and move and move and chase things through time yeah yeah there's not a lot of that in, I mean I know it, it is in games you can have it in all in lots of games there can be time travel but there's not much that I can think of there's not, certainly not many popular sort of games no. that cover the idea of is, is there a, it probably was in the 90s yeah like probably riffs. yeah yeah but these, there, these names I hear of but I'm not quite sure they are. we need to do some more research yeah. into it isn't there a What's it called? It's time Cypher System one that's time travel. Yeah. There is a Cypher Yeah, the Strange. The Strange, yeah, yeah. which is quite popular. And there's that Time Watch as well, which is a gumshoe yeah. Uh, yeah. version. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it'd be interesting to kind of explore that. It's an interesting theme, isn't it? Yeah. What, what I like about the League is that you are pe- historical figures, so you could be from any point in time, uh, so you can get uh, you know, a Western... Uh, Cowboys working alongside uh, a space alien. Yeah, so you've got an interesting thing with the role plays. If you're not just a time traveller, you are someone from a point in time who's become a time traveller, therefore, you know. Yeah, you've been you know, recruited. Like cultural, yeah, like the, do- like the Doctor's companion, like Jamie with his from the Battle of Ludden. Yeah. And uh, Leela from a. Yeah, with a yeah, Tarzan kind of character. So it's going to be an experiment for me. I'm not going to have um, 
a headline game, a mainstream game, I'm going to go for something quite small and discreet and see what happens. See what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Right, I think uh, it's your round, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. See you later. Don't worry, there isn't another bit. Thanks to Eric for spending some time for a sit-down with us for this episode. Wise Guys is available on print and demand at DriveThruRPGs. Link in the show notes. I think it's great. We mentioned Owlbear and the Wizard Staff Convention, organised by Asaka So on Twitter, winner of last year's Groggy. It is running on the weekend of the 2nd to the 4th of September 2022 in Leamington Spa. There are still places available and I recommend attendance if you can make it because it's a lovely place, the friendly people and the samosas at lunchtime and great gaming too. If that's not enough to convince you, then you can get the chance to play with Daily Dwarf. He's taken one of his 2000 AD Savage Worlds adaptations and you can play the bad guys of New Earth. Great stuff. I hope you can go. If you can't get there in person, like me, sobs for a moment, (laughs) why not join us online? Again, there are spots available for games over the weekend. Also, something for your diaries. The book club on August 7th, 2022, features a special Meet the Author with Paul Fricker talking about Full Fathom 5, his epic scenario available at the Miskatonic Repository, set aboard a whaling ship in 1847. If you sign up to the Patreon, you can keep up with all this extracurricular activity, including the plans for Grogmeet in November and the long-awaited Grogzine. Things are getting tough out there, and it makes me appreciate even more the monthly tips that are sent to support and encourage this endeavour. Thank you to everyone who listens to the podcast and a big thanks to anyone who has ever supported us on Patreon and those that continue to do so. It's been a while since I've done shout-outs to new honorary members of the Armchair Adventurers Club, so here goes. At the fancy poof level, a warm welcome to Anthony Jones, Darren Chandler and Helena Nash. At the sofa-so-good level, I like to roll on a virtual table to give a virtual gift. This time I've gone for the the loot generator from the fantasy companion of Savage Worlds. If you head to the fan-made Immaterial Plane website, it'll do it for you. Okay, Paul Blair? He gets a longsword plus three, which sounds a bit boring. Until it has a name, we'll call it Bernard the Battler. Bud from the YouTube channel Bud's RPG Reviews has put one of his famous hands in his pocket to increase his tip. You should also note that he'll be the Q&A guest in November's book club when we'll be looking at Viral, the modern-day Call of Cthulhu adventure that's available again at the Miskatonic Depository, which he co-wrote. Roll on the table. Okay. He gets a ring of bonding. Watch out for it on the next video review. Mark Wide, he gets a ring of air manipulation. Michael Kerwin gets a ring of greater avoidance. There's a lot of rings on this table, isn't there? He'll end up looking like one of those fellas on the waltzers. 
Okay, next is Paul Clammer. He gets a potion of invisibility with a raise. Andy Williams, he gets a potion of vigor boost. There's time when we all need that. At the contour rug level, you know, one of those little shaped rugs that you put, well, you put it near a toilet, don't you? But this is for a chair. It's very clean. Uh, we have a new member, Sid Razavi. He's the host of the great podcast, Run the Adventure. He does deep analysis of adventure modules, helping games masters to get the best from them. This morning, I've been listening to his collaboration with Ian from the Rolf to Save podcast, another member of the Grog Squad, talking about the fall of London for Vampire the Masquerade. And it's done in such a convincing manner that I almost donned a flouncy shirt and got it myself. Welcome, Sid. You get the Tome of Quickness. Well, that was a big one. And you know what? There's more Savage Worlds to come next time. But until then, adios, amigos. (laughs) 